Welcome back to another episode of Escaping Gilead. This is for the sixth episode of the fifth season. This one is called Together. This is Paul. This is Caroline. Paul, what in the uterus harvesting is going on here? Uterus harvesting, of course. No, actually none. Wait, We're not is it doing uterus it. harder? Wait, I can't even say it. Is no, it you can't. It's funny. Uterus. Uterus. Harvesting season? Like, is it like pumpkin spice? Like- well, you know, when the uterus is as high as a... <laughs> Elephant's eye. <laughs> it's time this to bring in the harvest. insane, you guys. I was completely shocked by this Esther storyline with this uterus harvesting, which is not funny and we're not laughing at that. It's just, it's a tongue twister to say as a podcaster. So, Well, and it's something I had no idea existed. Me I neither. Mean, I, some parts of the body can be transplanted. Some they haven't quite figured out when it comes to that part of the body i i would have thought it would have been too specific to each woman to to move around but apparently it's a thing or maybe even too delicate or something right you know? yeah because there's all the, always this this you know this idea of like harvesting eggs and it, it turns out you know when they take you in health class and they have like the girl class and the boy class they don't even get to uterus harvesting and we just play like kickball oh <laughs> that explains a lot about what y'all know about sex <laughs> All right, so let's start talking about this pretty big haps in Gilead. I mean, Lydia, Lawrence, Nick, we're having some real movement towards, like, we're going to respect the handmaids. Are we, though? I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? Lawrence's first take on the news that Esther was raped was pretty dismissive. True. However, he's got plans which we're going to talk about new bethlehem in a minute are we though well <laughs> we don't, it's not going to be a very long conversation except that we know that it's his plan putnam is being a dick about it so is it that he's all of a sudden wants to support the handmaids or this is a great way to have mm-hmm. someone put a bullet and put putnam's <laughs> in putnam's head yeah, I see what you're saying. It's not pro handmade. It's anti Putnam. I got you. You're right. You're if totally the right. Fits. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Okay, you guys. So it turns out no harvest is happening, but instead Esther's pregnant with Warren's baby. Very upsetting. I know we all felt like that scene with the chocolate was disgusting. All of us felt the grosso vibes, but I didn't know it went that far. I, no. I didn't suspect that. I, didn't I just know. thought he was going to be weird with her. Yeah, because it was going to be the next day was the posting and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I, yeah, I thought he was just being weird. So we have this pregnant Esther. I got to say. By weird, I think we mean groomy. Those kinds of situations. Not even that. I'm, I mean, like creepy is the word I'm trying to use. Like, okay. I, I think it was it was real pedophile, real predatory, real gross. Yeah, that's right. That's I mean, right these are the things that I felt like I was watching because of the the camera work, making him so much bigger and taller, and looking up at his face. There was a lot of work there. I mean, they did a great job of making Warren a very sinister looking man this season because he's been around. He's been around. You know, we've well, been gotten... a fellow commander. He's been in trouble before. Well, you know? and when we were discussing about how he had strung Janine along, remember how the, she had that whole fairy tale idea that he was going to leave his wife and they were going to have a family together. Remember all yeah. that stuff? I mean, there was a lot of, I'm going to say, mental abuse with her in terms of 
concocting this story, you know, making her feel like she was really going to be this important part of the the household and and that he loved her, you Mm -hmm. know. He operated a lot faster with Esther. A few chocolates and a baby. I have to have a moment about the the scene where Esther and Lydia are discussing the fact that she had been raped because that was a very difficult scene to watch. The actress who's playing Esther did an amazing job of really just, I mean, it, it reminded me of The Exorcist, to be honest with you, the way that she was like tied down to the bed and she was like spitting and wh- whipping her head around. And I mean, that that feeling of like, utter loss of control you know that this mm-hmm. is just the desperation everything i mean my I, I i kept saying turn down the sound turn down the sound i can't stand the screaming and i mean she sold it to me about how absolutely hellish and torturous this entire situation is and we hadn't run across the idea of rape in a while in gilead it's a term that when we think about gilead it's almost like what does it mean there, given that they have an entire societal okayness with handmaids in that in that situation, institutionalized rape? They do draw the line somewhere. We have seen the participations in the past. We right. saw at the ranch, or not the ranch, but you know the farm right. last year, where they didn't even have really hard proof about this one guy that they were calling a rapist, but they still tore that guy apart, right? You know, it comes up again in the with the June and Luke storyline when they were running through the woods. Remember, they came across a guy with the word rapist on him. Yeah. So certainly, you know, this concept of what is rape is a very good question in Gilead, because certainly we can all agree this is all non-consensual. Mm. So by that definition, this is all rape within their own society they've kind of created this faux consent in some way that there's this religious level to it that you can somehow make it okay what they're doing of course it's all wrong and not not acceptable i was taken by ann dowd's performance in terms of really watching this transition in her face Mm. because there's a moment when you're thinking is she gonna blame the girl or slap her again or something i mean like she has that side to her so you could see the internal struggle for her to actually execute this compassion that she had been giving lip service to earlier and now here's your first chance here's a girl who 100 well yes it may have only been 12 hours later and she would have been quote unquote posted and this would have all been by the books in theory but it wasn't and so this is not following the the agreed upon rules between lydia and the commanders of like what i'm going to do in order to prepare these women and what you're going to do in order to you know produce families right right so when she actually kind of finally manages to find the words of saying like that's terrible i'm sorry what did you think i thought this was a step toward the redemptive arc that we've been talking about for Lydia that she needs to reach or at least start on by by the end of this series. See, and I even think I'll I'll go a step further and say I don't I don't even think it's like the like the first step or something. I mean, I think this is the first time she's actually 
managing to do it, to be compassionate, you know, like she's been talking about being compassionate. Those were probably the first steps, right? Mm -hmm. First admitting you have a problem, slapping people in a coma is you have a problem, right? And then, and, and having like Lawrence yell and say like, you can't be leaving marks and you can't be slapping people around, you know, having to be like yanked back in. And then she's like, had to go through this transformation where now she can't barely find the words to be like, this is not right. And you can see her almost like convincing herself as she's saying it, you know, that like, wait a minute, like this is not acceptable. I have this hope in my, in my wee little heart that in his guts, Lawrence knows that this Gilead thing went too far. He is going to try to fix it, but he has to survive long enough to do it. Mm. However, in these moments when he says such snarky things about such serious subjects, I have my doubts <laughs> and get back to maybe he does just like stir in the pot and and seeing what happens. See, I do think he has that side to him where in my own mind, I think of him as as kind of like a researcher, kind of like this a little bit deranged, mad scientist kind of character. Like poke where the mouse, right? If I, if I say this or if I introduce this catalyst, what will happen next? Mm -hmm. uh, and, he, and he actually like enjoys like stepping back and observing what the other person does. Because half the time when something happens, he'll kind of like step back and be like, huh. I didn't see that coming. You know, like how many times was he surprised by Emily or June or whomever where he was like, oh, shit. Like, that's that's the way you're going to play this. OK, I didn't see that coming. He does have this side where he is like reflective about how this is actually going, whereas the other commanders and a lot of the other characters in the show are like in the game. He feels like a player of the game. He feels like someone standing outside looking at the game board watching it play out and so sometimes it feels like he's a commander in this strange country called gilead and sometimes it feels like he breaks character almost and is just like a game player observing watching this role play game play out and sometimes he'll comment in a very modern way outside of their sort of you know really religious very old-fashioned kind of way that they go about doing things. Do you mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Like, it's almost like he, he speaks in a way and he acts in a way, he smiles, he laughs, he jokes. Who else does that in this entire society? Tell me if this, if this, if this matches up, okay? Okay. Do you remember watching the first season of Survivor and just how Richard got it yeah. and no one else did? And he sort of talked in a way that made it seem like he'd already watched this He'd already seen several seasons and knew how it was supposed to go. So even like I can remember like the very one of the like next to last events, it was a physical challenge. He's not a physical guy. He knew that he was not going to win it and he wanted to save his his strength for something else. And so he was he was going to bet on the alliance that he'd formed, which no one had talked about alliances in those kind of games before. And he just quit the game and that's what he did and he, and he i mean he obviously won and so he made the right bet but still all along he was kind of narrating to the others that that this is how he knew the game was going to be played in this sort of meta way that i think matches up with the way lawrence views things i feel you i, I definitely agree with that sort of meta part where there's no part of 
Lawrence that forgets there's a, a bigger world out there or that forgets the before or that forgets that they could just like drive their car and go do something else, you know, like in another land. Like, but there's other people who act there like in Gilead, like all they know is Little House on the Prairie and they're like in it, you know, mm-hmm. and they don't ever break that character. You know, they just like tend their gardens and speak, you know, by you know, biblical verses like that kind of stuff, you know. But Lawrence doesn't do that, which I think makes him probably the most compelling character for me. Right. He doesn't go in with the uh, under his eye, blessed day. Uh, no. Stuff. And in fact, he will laugh at that stuff sometimes and say other things. And so I think that he is forever playing a role playing game. That is how I take Lawrence. He has to continue to position himself. Now, you're a role play gamer. That's the right word. Just right way to say that. Role game sure. player. Role player. Role game? playing gamer. Gamer is that right? Maybe. Um, yeah. So I mean, do do you see like sort of that like I'm playing a character and and sometimes I want to like you know increase my power. I want to I want to change my positioning. I have to take out you know a rival player. Like those types of things. Do you kind of see that as opposed to say like. Lydia, who doesn't feel that way to me. She feels like an in-game player that's like you meet in the woods and you have to get like a recipe from her. Those are called NPCs. And no, or, no not NPC necessarily, right? Because she's not just like an extra. No, this is like, she'd be like someone you had to seek out to like get information from. Doesn't that have a different word? Well, there's there's an actual kind of character that is played by the dungeon master slash game master that is meant to be more fleshed out than an npc an npc is someone that's yeah you could just sort of like shaw at this point you know like Mm. he may come he may go but chances of him having an actual plot when he walks away from the show is like not right happening really like most guardians right unnamed guardians right so that's more Lydia. But I see what you're saying, like trying to assess your move based on what you know, what you know about yourself, what you know about your enemy, what you know about the world. That's a game. That's a role playing game type tactic. And he leaves the game like how he met June at a diner. Right. Like he leaves the game and like actually exists in the real world where like few of the rest of them do. I don't know. There's something fascinating about Lawrence. The way this played out was extremely satisfying to me. I mean, coming and getting him at breakfast, snatching him up, the whole thing. I was shocked that they just took command of that entire situation and just shot him right there, broad daylight, front of everyone having breakfast. No kidding. Impressive. I mean, if you want to send a message about how we're going to start treating the handmaids and what's acceptable and what's not, message sent, sir. Right. You just go to the club, you know. Snatch uh, your neck. <laughs> exactly. And it was gruesome. I mean, it like, I mean, they didn't just drag him off or, or punch him in the face or go make him go stand in front of the high court. None of that. Just headshot, dude. We hadn't seen that sort of out in the open commander on commander. Do they all pack 45s? I mean, or is it just... just guys like nick or nick's got that guardian background right he's well, he got a, that he was an eye right but he's but he's got that like protection you're right an eye is the proper word so he's got that protection security background coming in as a commander as opposed to being like an academic yeah or i was, I was gonna say like a gentleman or like an officer or something right like he like rose through the ranks as like a soldier true remember he was he was sent to the front yes, for a while. Yes, Chicago, yes. How so, okay, so maybe maybe that's an element of it. Yeah. Still, I would not at all be surprised to find out commanders didn't carry 
but yeah, that that summary execution element of it we hadn't seen. We'd seen things get lopped off lopped off camera. Off. Those kind of message are, are are more like, oh, you see that they're missing a hand later. Right. This this, is... this was immediate and swift justice, and I, you know that is what Lydia promised that there would be some justice here. I think that when there was mockery of the ceremony, mockery of this concept of what all Lydia had been putting her all into, you know, trying to convince these women to go in for this because because this was all for this greater good and all that. And then to have the have this layering on of like episode after episode of like, oh, you know, the commanders just want to sniff around them. Oh, you know, who cares if, you know, the, the ceremony, brrr, like lame, you know, like that kind of stuff. The breaking down of the loyalty that Lydia has to Gilead is remarkably well done. And Janine's remark at the end, is it that she disappoints Lydia? In, or is it surprising to her or is it just she would have preferred she stay quiet right then and let the younger handmaids soak in the moment that she wished she had been there? Well, it certainly echoed throughout this episode um, with Serena Joy, where she needs to be there. She needs to see the death of June Osborne. So there's certainly some sort of active message being said to the audience that like, if you are a person who has been victimized, there there is a need on the inside to see it with your own eyes. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, it was the like, like the repetitiveness of the like, I wish I had seen it or I need to see it or I need to be a part of it that that strikes me even even going back to Fred's death, you know, that like June had to do it with her own hands. Nick could have simply shot him in the woods. Fair like, there, there was yeah. no reason to go through what June did with Fred, but there's a need, you know, a need to see it, a need to be a part of it. You brought up the idea of the Bethlehem plan. Let's hit on that for just a second. What do you guess? I mean, we haven't really gotten any good hints. I mean, obviously, Bethlehem is a very, you know, biblical reference. And in the context of the show, when it was first brought up, the camera was focused on the continental United States which we now know is divided between Gilead, the colonies, the front, the whatever you call it, the uh, like the no man's land areas, all the various parts of the uh, middle of North America. But that's it. Since the camera wasn't close enough for us to be able to read any of it, we couldn't tell what they wanted to do. So what I figure it would be something akin to taking the whole of it, whatever that is, whatever that looks like. And the only thing that I know that's special about Bethlehem is that it's the site of Jesus Christ's birth, right? Oh, there's that, yes. If you're going to have a plan and you're going to call it the Bethlehem plan, doesn't that sound like some sort of orchestrated event where you create the birth of a Messiah? You create the birth of a leader of some sort. Now, is this baby Waterford? Somehow, the concept of a Bethlehem plan And when you call it a plan, it makes it sound like almost like hijinks or something to me. It sounds like some sort of way to to get people to rally around some sort of, you know, birth of some sort, some some sort of miraculous birth. I like that. Some of the division may fall away if there's this. Isn't that always the way you got to find something that people can even if it's behind? Even if it's not an actual baby messiah, something more figurative, something like an idea or uh I think in this group though if you're going to be if we're going to be all about fertility 
I think it's a miraculous birth that is fatherless, perhaps. Maybe that makes it Esther's baby. Something where, and when I say fatherless, I mean human fatherless, because I understand that biblically that's not what Jesus has looked at. But you get what I'm saying? Like somehow the father isn't here. Again, though, that could make it Serena Joy's baby, too. Yeah, there's a couple babies up for grabs. Fatherless dad, fatherless babies here, right? Yeah, intrigue. That's where. That's what I think. Maybe we're looking at something where Lawrence thinks that we need to to get the masses to rally behind one miraculous moment of some sort. They kind of they kind of did it with the funeral. Yeah, where they figured out like if we had one televised moment, you could really like get everyone to agree on something. Now, moving from that for just a second, we do have Nick that pulled the trigger on that Warren situation, and we have the aftermath of Nick's wife. I was kind of surprised that she knew anything about it, but then also that she was pretty upset that, you know, Nick was perhaps not the guy she thought he was. And that made me wonder, like, who did she think he was? Because it seemed like he had been pretty forthright about plenty of his dealings before, and they were... You know, if you're incoming as a new assigned wife, some of that stuff would be pretty dicey. Yeah. Do we also gather that Rose is pregnant? Because they said we want to make Gilead safer for our child. That, I mean... Was that sort of like a our future child? Or was that like a touch the belly because your baby's in there kind of way? I understood it as like a a hopeful thing. Like our proposed child, you know, theoretical child. I could see it either way. Like, I could see it like maybe she is pregnant. But, I mean, that would be pretty easy situation for Nick's family then to like not ever have to deal with the handmaid and all that stuff. And I think it's actually kind of more interesting story writing if you end up with the conundrum of Nick having to use a handmaid because it's like, who's going to be placed as the handmaid? You know, like that whole game. Yeah. You know, it's like, who knows what's going to happen? So I don't really want Rose to be pregnant because it's more interesting storytelling for her not to be. Well, if we start to get too many pregnant wives, pregnant women. (laughs) Right. Well, wives specifically. There's got to be this reason that Gilead has this uh, reason to be, you know, and it's and it's the birth, the fertility rate, the birth rate. But if women keep getting pregnant, then wouldn't people start to be like, hey, wait a minute. We're okay again, you know? Why Where? do we everywhere? Why no, would No, because it's only happening in Gilead. Well that we know if we only get to see Gilead. No, I'm just saying. No, 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 no. I mean, I kinda hear what you're saying. I think it's more interesting that wives are getting pregnant. I don't think she's prego. Because that means you don't need handmaids. That's so, what I, I think we're saying something are we similar. Saying the same thing? I, we're saying something very similar. Okay, yeah. okay. Well, I, I just think if you could be married to someone who you want to be married to and have a baby. That's very different than the construct of the handmaids. So, and one might even ask why you need him. And if you start to ask them why you need them, then you might start to ask why you need any of the rest of it, of the oppression and the of patriarchy and all that. Yeah, let's talk about some oppression, Paul. Oh, there was some oppression up in this episode. Now we're going to move over to Luke and June first, right? Yes, yes. So we learned who captured them. It wasn't Canada. It wasn't Gilead. It was hired goons. Which kind of makes sense, right? That you'd have like this hired goon section is the right word, like not mercenaries per se, but like they're like the the bounty hunters, right? They're like the ones who are like patrolling on their own for their own reasons. There are people that do this now in Arizona, Texas, New Mexico that are not on the payroll of like the border patrol, but they still 
do this. But these particular guys seem to be working directly for Wheeler. I didn't expect that he would have his own goon squad out there looking for them. Or was it just like he had goon squads out there and they happened to come up with them? Well, see, I figure he can be a part of that goon squad because he's in Canada. Think of the Wheelers as like this strange, like we were talking about last week, like playing house version of Gilead. Yeah. So he like made up a group of eyes and guardians that are really just, they're not. They're not Gilead, but they're his. Get what I'm saying? Like, I do. It's like he made up a whole world. Not only that. But in the scenes with Serena from last week and then this week with the doctor, especially with the doctor referred to his Martha. Oh, yeah. It's like they're running some sort of Gilead exchange program out here in Canada. Not exchange. No, you're you're right. It's like a colony. Yeah. It's like a colony or it's like a... I I like... (laughs) In my head, I'm like, it's like it's like Richard Scarry's Busy Town. It's like there's a post office and there's like a thing. It's like this fictitious mini Gilead, Gilead Light, like now in Canada. I, fi- I find it frightening because I think that it definitely lets us know that it's not just the idea of Gilead, you know, has infiltrated. But there's there there is cells, if you will, right? Active cells that are acting within the value system and the class system and everything that exists in Gilead here in Canada. And they are well organized enough to have cages. Yeah, that was all very scary. Now, let's talk a little bit about the June and Luke exchange that was going on in there because I appreciated, first of all, that June was using every bit of like Harriet the Spy type um, collection of information to try to figure things out. So like that the disinfectant smell was too strong and too much chemical that she knew this group was not Gilead. Like I loved that they were showing June's like not just, you know, oh, you need to bow your head this way or say this, but like this really in-depth level of understanding and being able to take these nuggets and and guide the two of them, even though Luke, once again, I mean, where is that man running to? It's funny to say, but this is the coolest and most at home June has been in episodes. Ooh, yeah. You know? That's saying a lot, isn't it? And it is driving Luke crazy because she is so cool because how many times have you been in a situation like this? A few times, (laughs) you know? Yeah, and then he keeps saying, like, I can't wrap my brain around it. I can't wrap my brain around that you're treated like this or that that you have a comfort level in a cage. And she's like, you're wasting energy. You need to sit down. And and he's he's bouncing off the walls. And I think it's worth noting, though, because we have seen her highly uncomfortable the whole time in Gilead or no sorry in Canada yeah think about think about the difference in their behavior actually think about how she actually acted much like Luke does in the cage with the pacing and the kind of frantic kind of darting eyes and the and the just kind of feeling so frenetic with her energy right and then like that's how she acted in Canada the whole time then she's in a cage and she's calm as can be and Luke is bouncing off the walls like a pinball yes yes. very good point like what a difference and again like what a thing to point out that like y'all are not on the same page right you you have not had the same life experiences and as much as you can keep saying like oh you know we're gonna be a team now you know look at the difference i gotta say paul i mean if i was writing dialogue or if i was reading a book and i saw this dialogue written out this felt 
so much like closure with the two of them. I mean, we were getting this reflectiveness back to thinking about, oh, I should have done this. I should have done that. No, you should have done this. Oh, I should have done that. So much like apologies, just trying to kind of feel better about what had all happened. I mean, it, they had never really had the opportunity. I mean, they did, but they really couldn't talk about you know, everything. It's like, it's like, it's all so raw now, you know, mm -hmm. at the surface. And they recognize that they're in this situation that may be final. And that the last time they were in a situation like this, they had no opportunity to, to say, I love you or say goodbye or say anything. And since they, it seemed like a foregone conclusion that, you know, definitely they were going to both be killed by Gilead. You know, we, we should do this right this time. Now, were you shocked when it turns out that June's little ear clip is problematic? No, because <laughs> I believe I had mentioned that in an earlier podcast. Seasons ago, yeah. I would say you were like, take that out of your ear. You know, as I'm sitting here thinking about the setup of the goons and how they have the bus that she gets on in a minute and... Mm -hmm. They have the cages and they have their trucks and they're faceless to us. They don't really ever reveal any of them to us. We know that Wheeler is operating like a colonist out of Gilead. It all now makes a ton of sense, right? He's stationed there, not just out of the goodness of his heart or just some coincidental affiliation with Gilead. He's there to round up defectors, not just randomly. It's like you said, a bounty hunter. That bus had like a Martha next to June. So they're going to take them all back and and probably get paid. I mean, that, there'll be some sort of reward. Yeah. How could how could Wheeler live so nicely? Right. Unless he's this makes sense. Right. Yeah. So I'm I, I could see a couple of different scenarios happening here. I could see where see Wheeler's not an impressive guy to me. No, because I don't think he actually has the power and the status that the commanders who live in Gilead do. So why I say that is because I think there's some sort of like proving his worth. Like it's like they're not in Gilead. They wish they were in Gilead. Well, why aren't they in Gilead? There seems to be like something there. And I hear what you're saying. Like, well, maybe they were in Gilead, but they just posted them out there. I don't think so. I don't think Mrs. Wheeler's ever stepped foot in Gilead. They're like wannabe Gilead people. You know, it's like he's like trying to be a commander. For whatever reason, they're like Heisman arming him, you know? <laughs> like he's not in with the other commanders. He has power, but he doesn't have power. He's just got this ragtag group of people. He wasn't given guys. It looks like he made this system, which what you said, it's a school bus. It's a warehouse of cages. Like there's these things, but it's not like Gilead version. We Do you remember what that processing center looked like? It didn't look like that. All right. Fair enough. So there's something about it. And, but you could be right. They Maybe they recruited him and said, prove yourself out here. Or maybe he badly wants to be in and they're saying, nah, for whatever right. reason. Round up a thousand and you're in. Which is weird. I mean, I don't know why they would make anyone have to prove themselves. But at the same time, look how badly these people seem to want to live in Gilead. And yet they're not there. Why would that be? Mm -hmm. All those other wives seem to want to be there, too. So, like, what gives? You know, there is some sort of I'm putting a big question mark. I'll put that up on the board of like, what the heck? Why would you even bother with having this group out here? And you don't even need the wheelers to have the bounty hunter guys. You don't need them to have a house and wives and all this kind of, you know what I'm saying? And mm -hmm. A doctor without, like, there's something else 
we're missing other steps to all of this. Okay. Like, we got to get to this doctor, right? First of all, Serena knew that doctor, but he doesn't seem to live in Gilead. Or does he? No, I think he lives in Canada. I didn't get that she knew him. I don't know. I thought that they knew each other, but maybe no. Dr. Landry. I just thought she was expecting him. Okay, I'll go with that. All right, so Alan Landry introduces her to this room of doom. Well, it's a room of birth. Paul Daly, it's in their house. Her face was like, duh, fuck. It, it was almost comical though, right? It's like, I didn't even notice this $10,000 bed and, <laughs> and all this equipment in here. Oh, it's hilarious. I guess you didn't ever go up to the fourth floor. Like, <laughs> oh man. Like, what did they manage to do? Did they do this when she was in the house? Were they bringing this equipment in when she was in the house? Or have they been preparing this room? What does having this room mean about the wheelers? Like, what are we supposed to take about this? Because Serena has not been there that long. So what is this? Like, have they had this room prepared, ready to grab up some woman somewhere? Because certainly this couldn't have totally been for Serena Joy. Or do you honestly think that just in the short period of time, like how, how did they get this equipment into this house and into this room? Have they been expecting a pregnant woman? The fact that they have it in there, just logistically, knowing that it's like all the way up the stairs. Yes, when he said the ultrasound machine, better than in his office. She's never been able to leave the whole time she's been there. Seems like she would have noticed the installation of the room. Right, and so if she didn't, that implies it's been there before Serena Joy got there. What does that mean? Does that mean that the Wheelers were like intending on I think so. grabbing up someone or what? I think so. Because the way that the doctor was instantly, A, you know, he knew that the room was there and he and he knew his way around the room. I know, mm-hmm. I understand that there's a fairly standard kind of way to approach that equipment, but... You're right. He had a comfort level, though, of familiarity with the room. So that implies that he was in on the installation. He might have recommended or even ordered the parts. Right. Well, how long would that have taken? Again, Serena's not even been here very long. So what is the backstory on the Wheeler birthing room? Like, where did this come from? And like, have they done something with other people? Are they, what are they doing? Mm-hmm. I have some big fat questions because to me, it seems like, you know, we've, we've watched plenty of documentaries. It's like when the serial killer has like that weird room, you know, where there's like all the supplies and all the stuff. And you're like, wait a minute, how long have they had that? They didn't just snatch that person off the street and take them into their backyard and kill them. They had a room with supplies, <laughs> like, holy shit. And like a better ultrasound equipment thing than would be in the city of Toronto's doctor's office? What, you guys, what is going on at the Wheelers? Begs a lot of questions. I, I, I'm, I, And you know what? If I'm Serena, it only says one thing to me. Get the fuck out of here. Oh, my gosh. Could you, like, feel the fear in her? I think she had a lot of feelings that day. Uh, High-level disgust at having been propositioned for a date after your 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 doctor's appointment with your baby doctor oh my god when she was like i am not dating my gynecologist i was like that is like emmy winning dialogue of the year like i was like that that sums it all up like yep you don't date your gynecologist no 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 
<laughs> and he was like, and he also seemed very disgusting to me. Like everything he was doing in the exam and everything. I was like, what the fuck? The the massage, the oil he was suggesting, the essential. I was like throwing up in my mouth. I have three children. No one has said these words to me. I was throwing up. I hated every second of that entire doctor exam. You called it, or at least most of it in our last podcast, where even though the discussion between Alanis and Serena um, was re revolving around finding her a husband, the treatment was definitely straight up handmade. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. When she was like, go to your room. <gasps> oh, my God. Serena's towering like a foot over I her. Know, I know. <laughs> How much do you just want to be like, take those shears and like snip her neck, you know? Like, holy shit. And like how far the mighty has fallen. Yeah, because I mean, I think if I wanted to spend the time, I could find a picture of June crying on her bed with oh, the crucifix yeah. in the back. I could find that picture. You know what I was thinking about? In all of the time we've seen this, I don't know that we've seen her cry, Serena. I know it seems like surely at some point she must have tears in her eyes. But like that, sobbing on her bed like that... Not like that, but I. There's been, I think, there's when, been emotional days. Don't yeah, get me wrong. There's like been in bad the greenhouse days. when she told her that she could take Nicole. I think, I think there was some crying that day. There's been emotional days, but that was a desperate cry of like a holy shit. What did we get into? And and devo developing the resolve to do what comes later in her story. What do you think? We we kind of we alluded to this earlier about what Janine says. I got to see it from my own eyes. Yeah. What did you think of this setup where Serena is like realizing like I only have one shot of getting the hell out of this place. And it's a relatively easy sell for these wannabe Gileadians selling the eye for an eye mm -hmm. uh, argument is an easy one. It doesn't even take a, that hard of a push. You can tell Shaw is a little taken off with it. Like, this doesn't quite feel right, but orders are orders, so let's go. I'm sure he also doesn't want to be responsible for the Serena Joy, a pregnant woman, going out and being a part of what is about to be like an execution with like no additional security. No, I mean, this is dangerous and this is precious cargo. So as they were actually preparing to leave, Serena Joy and Shaw you know, every part of me, that tension I think was pretty great about like, is she actually going to make it off the premises? Because you have like Mrs. Wheeler and if anything happens, he'll bring you right back and Serena Joy's all, oh, I know he will, <laughs> yeah. you know? And you have the, you know, the gates opening and the cars going towards it. I mean, I feel like we've seen scenes in Handmaid's Tale where those gates would have started closing back up or something else or a door opens, someone snatches her arm, says like, I don't think so, Missy, or something. Were you surprised she actually made it out of there? I kind of was, yeah. That, But like I said a second ago, the eye for an eye retribution type mentality that goes along with these people, they see the logic of it. They're not turn the other cheek types, you know? Combine that with she's not due for a while, theoretically. And so that kind of trip, though emotionally charged, should be okay for her to take. I mean, I think that they've already, they had already started the lockdown, though. This is our precious. Well, it's they so got like, Shaw there. 
Right, right, right. This is what makes them Gilead light. They don't know what they don't know. The trouble is, I think Shaw likes her. Maybe not romantically, but just, you know, they've, they've spent the last couple of weeks together in pretty close quarters and they're using each other's first names. I think that's true. I think he is prone to, you know, siding with her, even though Wheeler may pay the bills. It's you easy know? to see a pregnant woman as being can't, you know, not going to be able to do anything to me, you know, kind of thing. I'm if a you're trained sure. killer. And he's one of the only men on the show taller than Serena Joy. It brought me back to the comment that June kept saying to Mark Tuello when he came in the house and she kept saying, you're such a disappointment. And the whole point was how much you underestimate her, you know? And so to see this actual whole Wheeler Shaw thing play out, just that was like pounding in my ears. Like how many people underestimate Serena and what she's capable of and, and what she will do in order to protect herself and protect her children. You know, and there's very few, only June really knows because she has been on the receiving end. Maybe Fred would have said he knew, but she's been on the receiving end. But also, like you said, the greenhouse scene of handing over the baby, like there has been some moments where Serena Joy has done the things that have to happen in order to survive and in in order to have her, her baby safe, whichever baby it is, you know, Mm -hmm. like, so this is just one more thing, you know, where they, they're just underestimating her at such like a colossal level. There's no way Shaw thinks she's going to shoot him. No. But I did. Did you? <laughs> did you see well, it coming? I mean, no. But once she, once you she, didn't? You once didn't she see had it the gun, that's the only thing that made sense, right? Oh my God. I thought, I thought this whole time, I thought from last episode where I was like, surely this is going to be an unlikely frenemy situation where they're going to be thrown together because now serena joy needs june's help the big the once she had the gun the only question mark was is she gonna wing him or kill him i can't believe she only winged him i mean why do you not why wouldn't you walk over and shoot him in the fucking head that's the thing maybe she likes him well enough to not kill him but boo hiss he's the only one like because here's the deal that spot on the vest is pretty iffy you know, because that was pretty close to unguarded flesh. If he was dead, then even if the women got caught later, Serena could be like, this guy came out of nowhere and shot him or June did it or whatever. But leaving him alive, everybody knows Serena shot him. Mm, yeah. <sighs> Rookie move. Rookie <laughs> freaking move, y'all. I would absolutely. I, I, I wouldn't want to go shoot him in the head. But I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you can't leave. You she can't was leave witnesses. Very emotional right then. Ugh, you can't leave a witness. So what comes next for Thelma and Louise here? Well, let's talk about how Louise got there, if you will. How Louise got there. Ah, yes. So we're going to jump back over to Luke and June because we talked about how they had this whole like kind of closure and everything. And then we have this completely shocking moment where they're like, Luke's good. Send him back to Canada. But this one's got the ear tag. That's Remember? what I, that's that what I think about the, that bounty hunter type role for those men is that he's not worth anything. Yeah, agreed. He's not a part of their society in any way. What would, what would, what would they want with him? Well, what I mean, though, is that they could give him to Gilead, but they don't want him. No one wants a single man, Gilead. Bring, a, bring us a single woman. It's ladies' night every night. It's ladies' night every No coat for charge for the ladies. Very, very true. No one wants a single man showing up anywhere, really. Luke's legal. They're going to send him back. Do you feel like this is it for those two? 
I mean, we got the goodbye, right? We got the goodbye. We got the redo. I mean, but he's going back theoretically to Toronto or somewhere. I think he is going back to Toronto to regroup with Moira to be like, what do we do now? And um, Lily. Lily, she might be a new addition to the team. Well, with June leaving, you kind of have to like add more people. So that's why I think Rita shows back up because she's, you know, Nicole's caretaker. And I think bringing Lily in now, you're kind of, you got to beef up the Canadian team. I don't think they're done. I, I mean, I, we were calling it a couple weeks ago that Luke's, you know, story could definitely have petered out right here and he will have done everything he was supposed to do story-wise. They could have just shot him in that field. And it would have been tragic and horrible and insane, but realistic. But okay. I mean, yeah. totally in keeping with the stakes of the story. In fact, killing him kind of keeps those stakes super high. Yeah, it means major characters can die, yeah. you know, which which is always an important portion of actually being scared about what's going to happen next. Speaking of what's going to happen next, Paul, what are some predictions? What are we looking at here? We do have Serena now with June in a car, right? June the whole time like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> like, this is not balls. I appreciate the entire like voiceover of the no matter what you do, the end is always a surprise. Last week you predicted June would deliver SJ's baby. I think that's a near certainty at this point. Yeah, for sure. And here's the thing, like it had to be, right? Because because you have to have this like absolutely like tear at your heartstrings moment where you're like human to human, this woman needs help having this baby, right? Right. But like also like pff, you could just leave her cuz she's like the most vulnerable state you could possibly ever be in. You could just leave her and move on with your life, you know, and nah. But then you've probably killed a baby. But why does she care about this baby, right? But that's the thing. She does kind of care about all these people. Everybody still has a little part of their heart that's got a little humanity in there still, right? Right. So what do you see happening? So these two birds are going to stick together. We're going to have Serena and June and baby in tow, I guess. And a lot of laughs. And a lot of laughs. <laughs> yeah. There's going to be a lot of Oscar and Felix going on with these two, right? Yep. Good times. <laughs> Sisters forever. Oh my God. They might Thelma and Louise it right off, right? Right into Gilead's front door, yep. right? This is Caroline. And this is Paul. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so that other people can find it and enjoy it too. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.